We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat holes. May the force be with you. Who is that masked man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. We'll open the show with some genre-related news before we get to today's discussion. The staff of Image Comics has announced that they have formed a union named Comic Book Workers United. This marks the first time a major modern comics publisher has had its employees unionize. The new union's goals include salary and workload transparency, continued remote work options for employees, an actionable plan to address a lack of diversity, and the addition of a collective voting option to immediately cancel publication of any title whose creator or creators have been found to have engaged in abuse, sexual assault, or bigotry. Comic Book Workers United says it was the spirit of the founders of Image that inspired them to organize. Although the union has asked Image Comics to voluntarily recognize it, the company has yet to do so. It is unclear whether such voluntary recognition will be forthcoming. The company issued a statement earlier this week saying that the Communication Workers of America, CWA, had filed a representation petition with the National Labor Relations Board asking to hold a secret ballot election so that eligible members of the Image Comics office staff can determine if they want the CWA to represent them in their employment with Image. The statement went on to say that the NLRB is currently reviewing the petition to determine when that election will be held, where it will take place, and who can vote. When a company voluntarily recognizes a union, a petition for an NLRB election is unnecessary. So far, Image Chief Operating Officer Robert Kirkman has declined to comment more on this story as it continues to develop. The Avatar The Last Airbender live-action series on Netflix has cast actor Daniel Day Kim as Fire Lord Ozai. He joins previously announced series stars Gordon Comier, Kai Wincho, Ian Ousley, and Dallas Liu. Kim is known to genre audiences for his work on the TV series Lost, films Hellboy, and the Divergent series Insurgent as well as his voice talent work on the original Avatar animated series and The Legend of Korra. New trailers dropped this week for The Book of Boba Fett, Sony Pictures' Morbius, and Stranger Things 4. You can view all on one of the FF social media platforms. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. The Book of Boba Fett debuts December 29th on Disney+. Plus. Morbius opens in theaters January 28, 2022. And Season 4 of Stranger Things returns to Netflix in 2022. An anniversary this week as The Incredible Hulk, produced by Kenneth Johnson, 
and starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, made its debut on CBS TV 44 years ago on November 4th, 1977. That should be under the category of things that make me feel incredibly old. <laughs> Black Panther Wakanda Forever will temporarily suspend production while Letitia Wright recovers from an onset injury suffered in August while on location in Boston. Her injury had not been expected to impact the production schedule, and shooting has continued in Atlanta without her. Wright has been recovering in London. Production is anticipated to resume in early 2022. And some sad news this week as British TV and film writer Bob Baker passed away at the age of 82. He is best known to genre audiences for his work on the BBC's classic Doctor Who series where he co-created Canine and co-wrote such episodes as the Santaran Experiment, the Armageddon Factor, the Hand of Fear, and many, many others. Today, we're talking about some of the recent news and developments involving DC Comics' legendary Man of Steel and his son. But before I introduce our panel, here is the official spoiler-free FF review of Marvel Studios' Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao. Let's take a listen. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Eternals, the latest movie from the popular culture powerhouse that is Marvel Studios, is a complicated picture. Based on the work of prolific comic creator Jack Kirby, this project cherry-picks not only from the original series, but substantially from subsequent work on the title from other creators, notably Neil Gaiman. This film is a significant departure from previous Marvel Cinematic Universe works. That's mostly a positive. While Marvel has established a successful formula for its projects, that formula has resulted in a certain similarity between its offerings. Eternal swerves into its own territory. It still connects to the rest of the MCU. The Eternals are powerful extraterrestrials who were brought to Earth centuries ago by omnipotent beings called the Celestials. The Celestials tasked the Eternals with protecting humans from creatures known as Deviants. But their mandate included the stipulation not to interfere with Earth history beyond defending against those specific enemies. The Eternals will return to their home planet, Olympia, when the Deviant threat is ended. The film picks up in modern day. The Eternals haven't seen a Deviant in centuries and have scattered across the globe, retreating into human disguises. They are compelled to gather again, following an attack on several of them by a Deviant in London. But can they reunite and unravel the mystery of the Deviant's sudden return in time to save Earth from destruction? Part of what makes this a complicated movie is the large cast. It's an ensemble picture that suffers from not being able to fully develop its many characters. But it is populated with great performers headlined by Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Kit Harrington, Kamal Nanjiani, Leah McHugh, Brian Tyree Henry, Lauren Ridloff, Barry Keoghan, and Ma Dong Suk. The supporting cast includes Harish Patel, 
Haz Sleeman, and young Eastside Daniel Cross. The cast is truly wonderful. No particularly outstanding performances, but the actors themselves are all good enough to make any questionable material seem believable. Chloe Zhao does an exceptional job with the directing chores. I admire her use of actual physical locations in this age of shooting before a green or blue screen for an effects-driven picture such as this. There is an authentic look and feel to much of what she's put on screen. Yet another example of Marvel hiring a relatively unknown talent who elevates themselves by the work they produce. Zhao also co-wrote the screenplay along with Patrick Burley and Ryan and Kaz Furpo. The screenwriters have threaded together a complex tale with numerous characters and made it, for the most part, manageable. In many ways, the movie is all over the place. The disjointed feel comes from the number of main characters and the regular flashback sequences. The final act delivers, although it isn't enough to redeem the film's shortcomings. There are some milestone moments for Marvel as they introduce their first openly gay character and same-sex couple. And there is a scene in which two main characters enjoy a moment of sexual intimacy, which has been unheard of in an MCU picture up until now. Yet another way this film distinguishes itself. One wonders if this more mature direction will continue for other Phase 4 movies. Talented composer Ramin Javadi provides a high-quality musical score that ends up being one of the better elements of the film. With a runtime of 2 hours and 37 minutes, it is exceptionally long in comparison to other MCU pictures, but it is well-paced. It's rated PG-13 for action, adventure, and drama. Unlike most Marvel films, I wouldn't describe it as a movie that is exactly kid-friendly. I think the rating is pretty much dead on. Take children younger than 13 at your own risk. Despite its convoluted narrative, I enjoyed the movie. As a fan of the comic book source material, I loved the usual Easter eggs that were included. You may expect two post-credit sequences. Don't get out of your seat too early. While I found it a satisfying movie-going experience, the convoluted story and problematic early acts detracted from what the filmmakers were attempting. An ambitious offering that doesn't quite achieve its objective. Two stars out of four. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. The official FF review of Marvel Studios Eternals, which opened yesterday. In fact, the film earned $9.5 million at Thursday previews, which was the third highest total during COVID. And the movie is expected to gross about $75 million this weekend. So, now it's time to introduce today's panel. Joining me are James Rambo, Brian Lyles, and Warren Bernard. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you, sir. Hey, come in well. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, so, I thought, well, before we get to the main topic, uh, does anybody have anything that they wanted to say about any of these uh, various news items? I mean, certainly, the formation of this Comic Book Workers United has got to be the biggest news <laughs> to come out of comics uh, in, in, in years, you know. But, uh, but I appreciate that it's all still very new, and we may not have complete information about all the things, so... Mm -hmm. Um, does anybody have anything they want to say about that? I'm glad they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember seeing when it was first announced, um, Phil Jimenez was one of the people who was like, oh, this is great. We, we were trying to do this a long time ago, 
and it just never got off the ground as far as the creative end of it. Um, I imagine both Disney and uh, AT&T time were <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, if it, if it works for the smaller one, there's no reason it can't work for the bigger one too, mm-hmm. so. Well, they've opened membership to essentially every comic book company. I mean, this would be, when they say comic book workers united, they literally mean comic book workers mm-hmm. united. So, I, I, personally, I'm I'm delighted. I mean, I've been a advocate for organ, uh, organizing labor in comics for many years. And honestly, uh, given the way that comics have been work for hire for so long, uh, I, I think that this is probably a long time coming and it, it it's I'm just looking I, I want to see how it's gonna turn out I mean I've had I've had some interesting encounters with comics industry insiders uh, uh, over this and um, <laughs> in particular <laughs> well I don't know that I want to name names but um, yes I have well I actually I will it was Paul Levitt's and Paul Levitz basically told me that I was an idiot. <laughs> I can I have a lot of respect for the man as a writer and but he has a very unique position having been both talent and an executive in this business, you know. Mm. So I felt okay, you know, you you probably feel like you have to defend the industry, but I, I mean and admittedly Nothing that any of the comic industry people have done is illegal. These contracts, this work-for-hire arrangement, it's pretty standard in terms of publishing. So uh, there, there, there absolutely is that. And uh, so I, but... But, there, but, I mean, the amount of work through the years that they've done, I mean, is is warranted for something more than just treating them like, you know, contract workers. I mean, I, I it, it just, to me, I felt like, you know, mind you, they're, they're doing these weekly, you know, mind you, it was, if it was a daily thing, you know, but th- these things coming out weekly and then monthly and all that stuff, and especially if you have multiple projects, I mean, you, you got to be, you know, it, it's, I mean, especially like around, like, I would figure like in the 60s and 70s, it was really bad, you know, especially the booms of Marvel and, you know, and getting that aspect out there and with all those people having to, again, protect their work, you know, because the anticipation of a lot of things of change, you know, changing dynamics and, you know, financial compens proper, proper financial compensations to the point where it's like, oh, we don't like you, you you know we can't afford you you have to go somewhere else and it's kind of wrong and i feel like they need these people need protection and they find and i'm kind of glad they're trying to get that protection out there for themselves Mm -hmm. well and especially in a climate like we have today Mm -hmm. where the these the comic book source material is feeding this industry this larger industry that's tv and movies Mm -hmm. and they're making a gazillion dollars off of this stuff Mm -hmm. you know and again it's perfectly legal but as far as how moral it is or how ethical it is i got some questions about that (laughs) yeah legality and and ethics are almost always (laughs) separate things but i remember uh edward baker talking about um 
all these people asking him if he had been watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And oh, he says, yeah. no, it, it actually kind of hurts my feelings to watch that. It really <laughs> bugs me because I see how popular this character I've made. And like, you know, we could split hairs and be like, well, technically Bucky was created. The Winter <laughs> Soldier is an Ed Brubaker and Steve, uh, not Steve Dillon, Steve Epting uh, creation. Um, and I think, I honestly can't remember if he, if he said the number, but I feel like he mentioned it was like a four-figure check mm. that they yeah, sent him. I'm pretty, when, I'm pretty sure they gave him like five thousand dollars when Winter Soldier came out, and, yes. it, was, and mm. it was, and it's a hundred percent a. Well, we didn't have to, but thanks, Ed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks for the billion-dollar idea we have. <laughs> Here's five G's. Like, yeah. ugh, well, that derivative gross. thing, though. I mean, that's. I mean, I, and I'm not splitting hairs, <laughs> but that's. I mean, it's. Ooh, I mean, and and this is part of the problem when you play with somebody else's toys. That's another reason that I'm big on creator-owned stuff. Mm. You know, it's like, hey, go out and make your own stuff because you, you, I mean, when you get into this, you know, and he had a great idea involving Bucky Barnes. Mm. And it's like, hey, I got this great idea and hey, run with it. And then, you know, hey, Warren, you've been sort of quiet on this, but as a comics historian, I'm sure you have some unique insight on it or a uh, particularly uh, quotable uh, sort of uh, offering on this? Well, uh, the, the thing is, is that you also have to take into consideration what happens to creator-owned stuff. So you go out, you get a mini-comic, you then do comics, you create a superhero, and you want to go ahead and someone from Netflix comes along and says, we want to do a TV show on you based on your character. Okay? So... The bottom line is, is that, yes, you might own that character, but you're not going to get a lot out of Netflix. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get a lot out of Disney. You're not going to get a lot out of um, uh, AT&T, Time Warner. You're just not going to get a lot of money out of them. I've talked to um, a couple of friends of mine who have deals with different streaming services, and it is unbelievable what they won't allow you to do and how much they go ahead and keep. So, yes, I agree that it's really great to have creator con you know, creator controlled content. And you own that as long as you stick to the four walls of the comics world and maybe a little merchandising or something like that that might come out before you hit something with Hulu. But once you strike those deals, you're in a different world. And all of a sudden, the merchandising is not as clear as it was. And all of a sudden, the digital content, non-fungible tokens. You Ugh. can't go out and just, mm -hmm. and just produce them. All right? So I'm not, I'm not saying you should, but all of these things that you say, oh, yeah, great, creative content. Well, guess what? When you're, when you're going with these behemoths, I don't care which streaming service or which movie studio it is. It really doesn't matter. All of them are going to give you as little as possible and they hold all the keys. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, you, you got to kind of temper this, you know, oh yeah, I've got control over my content with, you know, if you want to move into any of these financially lucrative areas, it's not quite the world you envisioned it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Your degree mm -hmm. of control 
will go downhill. Can I ask mm. this question? Because hey, but, but, before you do, <laughs> remind everybody that you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Warren Bernard and James Rambo and Brian Lyles, who had a question, I think, for Warren Bernard. Yeah, because um, I'm always, based off of the this topic of us, you know, with the emergence of this union, and I think that we talked about this before we got on air, how this union was pretty much... They they unionized based off of Image Comics and which is you know Seth MacFarlane not Seth MacFarlane um, Tom MacFarlane Tom, Tom yeah. MacFarlane mm-hmm. um, I'm always thinking of Seth I don't know why. <laughs> um, due to the fact of of Spawn the the comic book and and everything and how uh, you know his character sort of you know in a short period of time you know was on a television series uh animated television series and then a movie um i'm kind of curious about you know even that short period of time of, of its popularity you know mcfarland was able to have be able to you know get enough capital out of that you know and hopefully now even though spawn's been here for like 20 plus years i'm thinking is like based off what you just said i figured it's like did he had any issues with that or no well uh, i don't think so at the time because of how popular it was and also the the legal and intellectual property landscape has changed a lot since the 20th century so I don't know that whatever deal McFarland got 20 years ago, whether or not he'd get the same deal today. Mm. Hmm. hmm. That, I, think yeah. mm-hmm. I think it's important to note also that, you know, Todd McFarlane is, is kind of an aberration in terms of being a creator who has that kind of a business mind. Um, a lot of artists and writers, what they know is writing and drawing. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't say this uh, to denigrate anybody. Like, I am a professional artist. Um, and a thing I run into constantly is people who have no idea how to price their work, who have no idea what they're supposed to be charging people for things. And so the idea, and, and that's just at the most basic level. So the idea of then trying to say, well, how, okay, well, what what kind of merchandising should I get? What what is a, a What does a streaming contract look like for adaptation mm. of my comic? Like that is that couldn't be more foreign. Um, so it's you know yeah to Warren's point it's it's, it's a very different landscape uh, now than it was at the time. But even then, like McFarlane is is a very special case mm. uh, yes. in terms of the the kind of person who who really has an idea of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I Absolutely. think yeah, and I, I think it's uh, something we ought to point out that even among his image compatriots because uh, you look at Eric Larson you know with the Savage Dragon mm-hmm. that didn't have the kind of horses that McFarlane spawn did mm-hmm. you know I mean the closest thing that kind of came to it was Kirkman with the Walking Dead yeah. and even that I mean he was he was successful more with the spin-offs and but McFarlane had the merchandising mm-hmm. I mean it's like the toy thing I mean mm-hmm. it's just it's crazy hey look but I, I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on this and I knew there was a danger <laughs> but because that's not what the show was supposed to be about you know mm-hmm. we were going to talk about 
the mighty man of steel, the man of tomorrow, the last son of Krypton, <laughs> that amazing strange over the yeah, you know. Anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah, so because there have been some new developments with all that, and of course, Superman was DC's most popular character for decades, and now he has been supplanted by Batman, and seems like the modern writers and artists don't really know what to do with Superman, and they're <laughs> struggling to try and make him relevant. And so one of the things that has happened recently, this uh, slogan, uh, motto, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. truth, justice, and the American way has been revised to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. And there are people who are fitting to lose their minds over this. I mean, it's just <laughs> crazy. So uh, before we really get into it, there is a short clip that I just want to play because that's that's essentially the motto and sort of the evolution of it because it wasn't always truth justice and the American way uh, let's take a listen possessing remarkable physical strength Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice disguised as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter Clark Kent and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way? Yeah, so <laughs> the thing is, I don't even know what... true. I mean, truth, justice, and the American way? I, I don't even know what that means! <laughs> I mean, what is the American... I mean, because the American way today... I think you can read a lot into it. I mean, you know, so they, they started this business with the animated cartoons, uh, the Max and Dave Fleischer animated mm -hmm. cartoons. And then in the 50s, you know, of course, at the height of the Red Scare and McCarthyism and all that, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to stick uh, American way in there. But I, I guess the, the, uh, a lot of older fans like myself, you know, their unyielding dedication to this original phrase has kind of take uh, I've been taken aback by that and you know since you are a, a another mature guy like myself <laughs> Warren I'd like to hear what you have to say about this well um, you know first of all just on just on nostalgia alone it's difficult to get those boomers to let go all right so so you, you've got that then you have the whole politics of it and of course you know Fox News was out there like immediately Oh my God! What's what's wrong with the American way and, and stuff like that? And you know, uh, uh, I, you know, I totally get the nostalgia because that, that was the Superman I was raised on. And I will admit to being a boomer who, um, if I had glasses, I'd be looking down over my glasses in disgust at my peers. <laughs> so, and it has changed over time. And you know, if you think about just the last 20 years, I'm going to forget the Vietnam War. I'm going to forget about a whole bunch of stuff that happened in the 20th century. But after Iraq and after Afghanistan, you know, uh, and then you throw in um, uh, uh, inequality on a social and a demo, uh, social and a economic basis, you put in all of this stuff, and you go, well, what is the American way here in the third decade of the 21st century? In the in the 50s, that was an easy thing to do because it was very clear there's the commies over there and then there's the American way over here and that's the way it is. And there was no shade of gray. These days, um, 
let's just say that that the American way has been has not been the leadership in the world that certain romantic people would like to believe it, it is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I I get that. I get that. Um, Rambo, I know you got something to say about this. Oh, there's so many things to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, like first, like let's let's disabuse ourselves of the notion that was the original phrase. You know that mm, I yes, just, the, exactly. that phrase has changed more than half a dozen times between mm. truth, justice, and hope, and truth, mm. justice, and you know, and, and like a better tomorrow makes sense from a one from a broad marketing perspective. If we're go- if we're even getting beyond just like the symbolism of the the phrase itself, it's easier to sell to other markets when you're not trying to wrap it around, wrap a flag around it. Mm, mm. Um, but you know, like Warren said, yeah, the idea of the American way at this point it doesn't have the warm apple pie kind of feel that it used to. Uh, and honestly, like you know, if we're really being honest about it, that it ever did. Um, <laughs> And it is, it is, we're, we're in a situation now where when I see someone with an American flag, I don't instantly feel warm and fuzzy. I distrust them. I, I am (laughs) concerned. Like, Mm -hmm. like what, what is, what are your, your, you know, what's your, your MO? Like, why Mm -hmm. are you feeling what are your intentions behind this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, because at this point in the same way that like, if someone says they're a patriot, like if they make a point to say that, I'm like. I will keep an eye on you because mm-hmm. you're not somebody who's here. Like this is not a a um, a, a, a statue of liberty. You know, uh, I shine my golden torch kind of situation. This is well, I'm I, you know America for Americans. You're like, oh okay. Well, I think we we know what that means. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's my favorite response to this has just been the the idea of like well what's wrong with a better tomorrow <laughs> isn't that a uniquely yes. american idea as well um the the idea of improving things i mean it, but it's up there with like progressive as an insult like <laughs> you know if that's okay if that's the stance you want to take that's fine um but yeah the i and i get nostalgia i understand that but at the same time you know Things change. The world moves on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And again, this is not the first time it's changed, and it won't be the last. Right. Mm-hmm. Brian, you got anything you want to add to that? I um, I remember the you know Superman TV show um, more so um, with that ending, you know, truth, justice, in the American way. And I feel like, again, it was it's the dated concept. It's a dated phrase. And I feel like now it's it's... Superman is the man of tomorrow, so why not say, you know, for a better tomorrow? So I I agree with how Superman's, you know, slogan is evolving. Hopefully it, you know, transcends to his character and what he does um, from here on out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's part of the intention. And as DC, I'll characterize it as sort of flails around trying to figure out what to do with this guy. And it, frankly... It seems kind of obvious to me, and I'll come to that in the second half of the show because, <laughs> of course, that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break. Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station, which, among other things, means we're non commercial and that we rely on you, our listeners. And 
our sponsors and our underwriters for the continued operation of the radio station. Make it your visit to visit, excuse me, make it your business to visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media at ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift today in support of this wonderful institution that is community media. So, we're not done. Like I said, we all got more stuff to say. You're going to want to hear it, trust me. Hang on. We'll be right back after this. And we're back here on the Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia, and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Brian Lyles and Warren Bernard and James Rambo. And when we took the break, we were talking a little bit about the change in the Superman slogan from truth, justice, and the American way to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. And I had been uh, getting ready to make a point about this because as time has gone on, my understanding of the Superman character has developed uh, a lot more. And part of the challenge facing the artists and the writers is they just don't know what to do with this guy. He's so incredibly powerful and they feel like that makes him a lot more challenging to kill. I mean, in fact, well, well to, to threaten even. And <laughs> that that's why back when they did that Death of Superman story, they just came up with like this big monstrous thing that was, yes, we're going to beat Superman to death and this guy can literally beat the whole Justice League with one hand tied behind his back. But I thought it would have been better if Luthor had been the one to kill him, you know, coming up with something. Anyway, but my the point that I'm making here is Superman is, despite his alien roots, he is the quintessentially American character, human character. You know, I mean, and when when I was young, looking at Superman and Batman, I had it backwards. I, I thought Superman was the real guy, and Clark Kent was the made-up one that he used to be able to further his I- adventures and to help people. And conversely, Bruce Wayne was the real guy, and Batman was the one that he made up to be able to go and beat the crap out of villains and you know for, forward his mission. But it's actually the opposite if you look at the psychology of these individuals, because Superman, even though he was born Kal-El of Krypton, he was raised by the kindly Kents and instilled with these Midwestern values. And so he sees himself internally as being Clark Kent. And Bruce Wayne, <laughs> well, he sees himself as this avenging creature of the night, and Bruce Wayne is the made-up one that he uses to be able to further his mission. And I think the psychology of these individuals is significant, because that offers you the blueprint of how to write them. 
And a guy with these Midwestern values who, I mean, he should be the easiest one to write. I mean, I get in conversations with people sometimes. I was in a conversation not long ago with somebody who was upset about the, well, they, I mean, a lot of people were upset about <laughs> Batman versus Superman. But um, they, this particular person was upset about the fight. And they were like, oh, Superman could wipe up the place with Batman in just a second. And I'm like, yes, but Batman... If you give him time to prepare, <laughs> he can beat anybody. Right. And I think that's something that is sort of lost with all this. But I, I'm yes. I'm reminded of what you were stating. I'm reminded of the world finest two-parter from the animated series and how they those two met and this it's not just the psychology, it's just their demeanor of how they handle things. Um, and especially when they met up, and I remember, you know, Clark, you know, used his X-ray vision and looked through Batman's cowl and everything, and it was kind of funny. And and every and I, I just felt like it's like those. There, you can tell they're two different people. They handle things differently. One's in the light, the other's in the dark, and all that stuff. And mind you, I think the the true reason of Batman's popularity is is that darkness. Everyone's is loving it feeding it they they embrace it mind you a lot of people say batman's oh he's real he's a normal guy and all that stuff he's he doesn't have to have powers but then again i think there nowadays there are more and more difficult things to write for batman now because of the fact that you kind of made him absolutely you know invulnerable I mean, even the new Batman trailer, you have him in that darn Iron Man suit, in a sense, you know, with all the bullets, you know, flinging off of him and stuff like that. It's like, no, Batman's not like, Batman needs to take some pain. Superman now, I think, it, the real reason why it's difficult, because of the fact, like, he's he's Superman. But then again, I think it's difficult to try to make him normalize. But I, I think with this new Superman and Lois show, and... I, I've just sort of like embraced that fact of like he the, the vulnerability of how to deal with his family, how to how he, he deals with situations of not just only protecting Lois but his two sons, and and protecting his uh, farmland that you know that was sadly given to him uh, to you know since his mom's passing, and and everything. I, I just felt like that right there, that writing, that show itself is is brought me back. To liking Superman a bit more. I've recently been watching the old, you know, Adventures of Superman cartoon shows back in from the '60s because I remember those days. Mind you, oh, the with, filmation cartoons, yeah, with mm. filmation cartoons, and had that old line of truth, justice, and the American way, and all that stuff. But it, it just brought me back because of the fact that this, I, I kind of miss this Superman. I, I, I mean, mind you, I wanted Superman to get some grit, get some bite, and and I, I. I'm the only, probably the only person in this conversation who liked Man of Steel, but because of the fact that it's like, you know, it had some grit to it, and I, I, I Superman needed that. I didn't, but now I feel just like the grit that he needed was he needs something more than just protecting a city and finding true justice in the American way or, or better tomorrow. It's just something more, and I think Superman and Lois showed me that that's what he needed. He needed something more to protect, and his family is the one thing I think needed needed uh, for this character to evolve in a, some sort of fashion. Well, this is a good place to segue to the other thing that I had wanted to talk about in terms of recent developments uh, with the Superman character, 
and uh, that is his son, John Kent, coming out as bisexual. Now, and again, a lot of the old heads lost <laughs> their minds you know, when, when this happened. But uh, there are a couple of quotes that I want to read. Um, one is from Tom Taylor, who is the writer. And I also want to point out that this book, where, where he actually comes out, it's due out this week, this mm-hmm. week coming. You know, So this is, we're going to hear a lot more about it. But uh, Tom Taylor said, I've always said everyone needs heroes and everyone deserves to see themselves in their heroes. And I'm very grateful DC and Warner Brothers share this idea. Superman's symbol has always stood for hope, for truth, and for justice. Today, that symbol represents something more. Today, more people can see themselves in the most powerful superhero in comics. Now, um, I have to say, as, as I mean, being a person from a particular generation, uh, progressiveness did not necessarily come uh, naturally to me. And, but also, I'm the type of person who, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And I'm not going to condemn somebody simply because their lifestyle isn't my lifestyle. I mean, that's not appropriate. And I also believe that people have the right to live as they choose, so long as they're not hurting anybody. And, you know, there's, hey, look, the way you're born is the way you're born. And people, there's nothing you can do about that, basically. And I think representation is important. And I think being able to see yourself in your heroes, like Tom Taylor was saying, there's there's something meaningful to that. And there's great value in doing this. There's great value in portraying people of, you know, not only different sexual orientations, but different races, different religions, different creeds. You know, because it's been like white guys for you know since the 40s and that's been the main thing i mean and women too i mean we need more women i mean it's so this is significant and the other thing that i like about it is that they're not making clark it's not like clark kent the clark kent we've known you know all of a sudden he turns by you know it's oh yeah lois i've been keeping this inside all (laughs) along i mean they've come up with a different character and they've they've done that, and I'm like, hey, okay. I mean, because I, I'm 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 not crazy about race swapping or gender swapping with existing characters, even though I understand why they do it. But I like it when you develop a whole new character and you give that character some additional identity. So you know, there's that. Anyway, that's what I have to say about it and um, I'll, I'll let some other people talk and you know then you know maybe we come back to uh, to one of these other uh, comments from the DC brass but before I do that I want to remind everybody that you're listening to fantastic forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM Radio Arlington I'm Ulysses E Campbell I'm joined today by Warren Bernard and Brian Lyles and James Rambo and uh, you know Warren it's been a minute since you talked well let, let's well, see what you have to say about I, this you know it's 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 interesting to me that there's all this hullabaloo over oh my god Superman's son is gay or bi whichever way you know depending on which article you read you got a different perspective <laughs> on it. And, uh, and because you know here we are it's the third decade of the 21st century get over it 
right? For, for those people like, oh my God, you can't, you know, you can't do that. It's like, well, first of all, why not? Uh, there's no reason not to. Second of all, there are a lot of people out there, uh, you know, since since some of the social mores have fallen by the wayside about LGBT, you know, add whatever letters you want to that, um, that that society as a whole, or at least large pockets of society as a whole, has, you know, given their acceptance to these lifestyles. You know, you have to sit there and you have to go, well, you know, what the hell's the matter with you that, you know, one, you're making a big deal over it. Two, um, it instantly brands you as a bigot of, of one variety or another. And, and three, you know, the, these people are out there. They, they want their, as Lissy was saying, they want their heroes also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being a cisgendered white dude, I thought I was fully represented in all media all the time. Um, and then I saw Avengers Endgame and I saw a fat, depressed superhero um, and that really hit home for me. I, I realized that um, a version of me is something I had seen a lot of, but I'd never really seen me. And now I see a queer Superman, and I see myself further represented in, uh, in one of my favorite characters. Um, and the idea that this is somehow dangerous or this is uh, you know right now now there's gonna be more gay kids um, which like okay and <laughs> um, that's yeah, also right. not how that works <laughs> um, but uh, you know it's I don't know every time a, a, a homophobe pops a blood vessel from the stress an angel gets its wings like I, <laughs> I how bad am I supposed to feel my, my favorite response to this yeah precisely um <laughs> My favorite response to this was uh, there is an Arizona state senator named Wendy Rogers who immediately, when the news came out, tweeted about it and had the most glorious typo. And the the tweet started, Superman loves Lewis Lane. (laughs) 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 And it goes on like, Superman's not gay and, and... you know, we should rename him Superman so we know the difference and all this. And it's like, well, first of all, yes, Superman does love Lois. He's, that's his mom. Um, because clearly you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you are just responding to, I don't know, to, to, to any potential dog whistle, to to any any loud noise you might have heard. Um and it's it's purely reactionary. It's it's absolute nonsense. Um, and I mean, like, if you if you need an idea of how popular this is, hmm. not only has this like DC hasn't even released the numbers, but they've said that this issue sold in unbelievable numbers hmm. to the point that they are now reprinting all previous four issues. And mm. rebranding it with the DC Pride logo. Mm. Mm. Wow. So the idea that, like, you know, uh, do we really need to see more of this? Well, obviously, some people are really excited about seeing themselves reflected in media. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we do. I, I give. As I was coming, coming driving in, I was thinking of um, DC has been very proactive on representation, and especially in the. Uh, LGBTQTA plus community, um, and 
at first it was kind of like, I, I was kind of, at, you know, when they mentioned Alan Scott, about, I think it's been now, what, at least 10 over 10 years since they made him a gay character. Oh, yeah, New 52. Yeah, yeah. New 52. And and I felt like it's like, okay. Now, mind you, you know, I'm familiar with the Alan Scott, and it's like, I figured it's like, hey, he has two kids. But I think in the fact it's like, okay, how his character would get to that state is the fact it's like okay if you think of his story it would be like okay back in you know mind you jsa's around world war ii time a lot of men in in, in the in that time frame probably had to hide their sexuality oh definitely yeah so and i figured this is like okay and you had the beard you know beard wives and all that stuff so we figured it's like okay understanding that i figured it's like i can understand this character and then later on, you know, I see like Thunder, you know, uh, Black Lightning's daughter, mm, yeah. and and her partner, uh, who are superheroes. And now, even with the animated series with uh, Young Justice with Aqualad, you know, he's coming out as gay. And I was like, I can understand that. I understand you want to put that out there. I think DC has done some. It's do, going leaps and bounds to try to mind you, but the sad thing is that these were these were characters that not a lot of people know about. Exactly. So yeah. for the last, in his, if you think of it, within the last two months, you had Tim Drake, and now Jonathan Kent, mm. Batman, mm. Superman. That type of connection is is mind blowing, and 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 mind you, it's for DC. Hey, this could be money. You know, think about it, you know, hey, we can make money out of this. But I think with, especially with Jonathan Kent coming out, um, and it, it's a good thing to promote that. But at the same time, you're kind of like playing it safe by using the buy. Because you're, you just, you, you don't want to take away any of those people who feel like, okay, hey, we, we, we you know, he still likes girls. But he also likes guys too. So I was like, okay, so we'll we'll play that. And I feel like with Tim Drake, I I was kind of like really stumped with that one, you know, you know, with that introduction because he's already been established. He had spoiler as a girlfriend. I don't know where you would put this in there to make him buy. But with Jonathan, he's completely different and new and fresh. And I think that it will open up some eyes for a lot of people to say, hey. This is our. This is this is a big top guy in a, well, in that realm to where we can promote and say, hey, this person is part of that community, and we want to make him a shining point for you all to support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, I'm gonna read another quote here. This one is from uh, publisher Jim Lee. Well. DC Chief Creative Officer and Publisher Jim Lee who says we couldn't be prouder to tell this important story from Tom Taylor and John Timms. Of course John Timms the artist. We talk a lot about the power of the DC multiverse in our storytelling and this is another incredible example. We can have John Kent exploring his identity in the comics as well as John Kent learning the secrets of his family on TV on Superman and Lois. They coexist in their own worlds and times, and our fans get to enjoy them both simultaneously, which would sort of suggest, because I've I've also heard a lot of uh, questions as far as people wondering about the John Kent in the Superman and Mm -hmm. Lois story, whether or not they were going to do this uh, with him. And, you know, I I think the jury's still out on that. I think Mm -hmm. partly it depends on, I mean, certainly this has been very well received, and it makes for another interesting story. 
that you can tell. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, I mean, certainly people people want compelling stories. And Rambo, what you were talking about in terms of people being able to see themselves in various characters, I think is also important. And you know, I, I'm glad that finally the powers that be are starting to figure out that that isn't limited to characters of different color or different ethnicities. You know, well, there's a lot more diversity. I I know that there's been, I mean, not, not I say it like it just recently happened. Mm-hmm. There's always been a backlash from uh, the queer community and any, any community of minorities when corporations are like, hey, we, uh, we have we have black characters. <laughs> you want to buy some of those? Um, yeah, and, well, you're pandering. Isn't and you know, I yeah. mean, and and you know the the you know we're we're now in November, so uh, uh, Pride has come and gone, and um, rainbow capitalism. You could you could almost track by the by like the <laughs> second when when Twitter accounts would change their uh, mm. their AVIs from you know rainbow flag to their standard logo. Um, but I mean, the deal is. It's capitalism. Like, mm. vote with your dollar. Like, it, it, yeah, they're they're oh, well, they're only doing this for money. That's all they do anything for. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. <laughs> like, that's how it functions. Um, you you know, you want it to be altruistic, but guess what? That is not the way it works. <laughs> um, so, to to a certain degree, I, I think we also have to just be adults and be aware of like, well, yeah, okay. They're doing this to sell books. Like, well, why else would they be doing it? Like, well, we got to acknowledge I, reality. I, I, I want to disagree just a tad with that, okay? In the sense that what you're seeing now in corporations, and whether some of it is political social posturing or genuine concern, is that lots of corporations are starting to come to the realization that there are other people out there that they would like to go ahead and whether it's sell or at least be more meaningful to um, in terms of the products they put out and the comic book business is no different Um, what we're not saying is is that really it took until the third decade of the 21st century for this to happen Yeah, and so there, there has to be. I, I worked in a big corporation for many years, all right. And those kinds of changes don't like boil up from the bottom. Those are top-down changes that occur. And so, if the people up at the top say, "Hey, I don't want any black," you know, how about this Major League Baseball? I'm sorry, I don't want any black ball players. Right? That's what happens. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, I want to bring that other perspective in is that there have to be people in the organizations willing to go ahead and embrace what used to be, um, shall we say, uh, uh, unwieldy things to deal with in the society. And now you do. Now, I'm not taking away the capitalism stuff in any way, shape, or form, but guess what? They could make money without doing those things. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's something to that. I. My counter to that would be, I think it's them realizing how much of an untapped market there is. Um, That's part of it. I'll admit that. Sure. Um, I mean, and like, I don't put it this way. I don't think it's nothing but soulless monsters running these companies. Um, I think that's only like a portion of people. Uh, but I, I, <laughs> I am. I would feel remiss to not to not 
uh, point out that you know they're doing this for money. But the the I don't necessarily see why that's a problem. Um, and yeah, as long as they're doing it, as long as they're yeah. doing it, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I, I think it, it 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 you know you want it to be for all the right reasons, but sometimes the right reason for them is <laughs> because we're getting paid. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> the check's gonna clear. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Rambo, I hate to cut you off, but we're out of time. <laughs> it's like you know, no. And, like, no, but see, and I knew this when we got into the union thing in the beginning. But look, I'd like to thank my panelists. And you, too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a TV show, and you can check that out if you go to the website at fantasticforum.tv. Also, check your local listings, because it might actually be on in your area, depending on where you are. Uh, If you miss any portion of the show on Saturdays, it re-airs each and every Thursday afternoons right here on WERA from 3 to 4 p.m. Check it out. The show is also available thanks to our friends at the Great Geek Refuge as a podcast, and you can find that on all the platforms where podcasts are available. So go out, go forth, enjoy your weekends, my friends. Be careful, be safe. And be sure to come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station.